Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. I'm early in recovery, just under two months, but you're here, yay, and haven't gone through formal disclosure yet. Is it unrealistic for me to set a boundary that if my SA boyfriend acts out with another person, includes texting, sexting, cam girls, physical cheating, dating sites, that the relationship is over? I'm not willing to tolerate any more cheating. How can I communicate this boundary in a way that's not a threat and more of a boundary? I want to respect while we work together in recovery to save our relationship. That's a great question of like, how do you navigate the boundaries? But she said, I think as a woman said, I'm in early recovery. I don't understand. Does she mean the relationship is in early recovery? Well, because she's first talking I, about him. Yes. And yes, at first I thought it was the person, you know, the, the, the addict. But I hear now that it's the betrayed partner, the girlfriend okay. of someone. So, yes. All right. So I'm going to answer this with a story. Is that okay? If you don't Yes, mind? please. I used to run betrayed spouses groups and a lot of it was because I really, really, I did it for a while because I really want to understand where you guys are coming from and like what you're thinking where, you know, I really want to understand completely your side. I work with addicts long enough and I was running a particular group and there were like six or eight women in each group and about two women down, we we're going around the room, one per each person at a time was saying what they'd gone through, whatever. And this particular woman was young. She was maybe 32, and she'd only been with a guy she was with for maybe three or four years. So the relationship was fairly new. I think they were recently married. And she had he'd been seeing sex workers and all the stuff that she didn't know about. And she sat up in the group and she said, and I want everybody to know, and I told him that if he does this again, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. So what I said to her about that was, you must understand by saying that to him, you're guaranteeing that he's never going to tell you if he makes another mistake and ends up back here. He is now faced with, if I do this, I can't tell her, I can't work on it with her because she's going to leave. Now, I understand the desire to have this stop and never happen again, but that's not addiction. We struggle, we get through, we get some of it, and then we, we and sometimes we have a slip. It is much more important for us as addicts to come to you and say, wow, I screwed up. I did this. I'm so, so sorry. I'm working on it because then at least, you know, there's honesty. So let me say one more thing going around that women's group that I was running about six women into the group, a woman who'd been around for a while, raised her hand. She had 10 years of working on this with her husband. Um, she was in her late 40s. She was older and had more experience. 
And this woman, how is she doing? She's doing fine. Her husband's last acting out was two years ago, but she said she'd been working on this for eight. So the woman said, uh, how, are you saying that he, he went back to it? And she said, yes. Eight years into his recovery, he started having an affair with his secretary, and it was really yucky, and lots of things happened, and he had to race back and back to the therapy center, back to treatment and all of that. And the woman who was in the group who said she would leave her husband if he ever did this again said, well, how could you put up with that? Why would you ever want him in your home again? And this was, to me, the sign of someone who'd really done some work on this. She said, just because he screws up, why would I ruin my life? Why would it take apart my house, my finances, my relationship with my family? Let him just go fix his problem, and then we can work it out between us. And I think that's a better way of looking at it in the sense that this is not a process of perfection. I'm not going to get this right, no matter how angry you are, no how much I'm threatened with your leaving. This is a problem as an addict I've probably had for years and years and years. So I'm probably not going to get it perfectly, no matter how hard I want to or want to do it for you. But what I can get perfectly is being honest. And for even for you who've said, I never want to hear this again, I guarantee you, I'm certain of it. If he does this again and he tells you, it will be horrible. It's not going to be a good day. You're going to feel awful. But there will be a little part of you that says, oh, my, this is different. Because now I'm actually, I know what's going on. He's letting me in. And that is actually the terror for the spouses is it sucks that all this happened. But what's worse is I didn't know anything. I was sleeping with this person. I was walking with this person. I never knew they had this whole separate life. So what I would focus on, if it were me, in early recovery as a couple, is not so much, is he looking at the porn? You know, hopefully not. But my focus would be, is he being honest with me? Is he talking to me regularly about what he's doing in therapy, what he's doing in his recovery? Is he showing me what his plan is? is do I know what sobriety is? I can't hear the details about what's gone on in a meeting or even a group therapy because that might involve other people, but I can see whether he's going. So if he is consistent in getting support, going to 12-step groups, going to therapy, and sitting down with you every couple of nights and you guys are talking about this honestly, and then a month from now he turns to you and says, I got to tell you, I looked at some porn last week. I didn't mean to. I talked to my sponsor. I told him I'm going to tell you. You're going to be pissed. But I hope on some way, instead of saying, okay, well, you did that again. I'm leaving you. You say, I'm really happy that this is going in the right direction because I can't guarantee that he's going to do it perfectly. But I can get a guarantee that whatever happens, I won't be left in the dark again. Tabby, that was a long answer. Do you have thoughts? That was about a this? great answer because it's very challenging to discern what is a healthy boundary and a realistic boundary, you know, and right. how do you create that safety and right. how do you give a boundary that you can live with? And, and I agree that the intention is I don't ever want him to do this ever again. Right. But the reality is, you know, as addicts, you know, it, it is an ongoing struggle. And you didn't say what he's doing to, is he going to a meeting every day? Is he talking to his sponsor? Is he working? I I mean, if he's doing all of those things, you're seeing good things happening. That's great. If he's just, I'm not going to do that ever again, that's going to be a challenge, you know? So, so it depends on what his effort is to make things different. Cause as we're saying, this is a lifelong problem way predates the acting out. And so addressing the underlying issues, getting skills to be able to deal with life in a different way, you know, takes time. Two things. I was uh, first of all, I am really honored. Um, I want to say this. Newsweek has a column called "My Turn," and they ask people that they think are special or interesting or have something to say to write this to write an essay. 
So I wrote an essay called My Turn, and I wrote it about cheating infidelity because that is the most pressing issue that I deal with. And uh, I think Tommy put the link in and feel free to read it and feel free to share it. I'm kind of excited about it. Who, nobody ever asked me to write anything like that before. But in any case, I put in there three rules about love and making love work when there's been betrayal. And I brought all this up because you mentioned one of the rules in my mind. I, and I'll give you another version of this. I was just on the phone with a couple and I believe the man is an addict. And when I was challenging him about his using, about his activities, about his behavior, boy, he had everything to say. You don't, I wasn't looking at right. I didn't understand what he was saying. I didn't like him. You know, every word in the world he had, except I have a problem. He had everything to say about how I wasn't seeing it right and I didn't understand him and why was I this and that. But the one thing he isn't able to say is I have a problem. And so what I want to say to every one of you spouses is, and I really mean this, our words are not important. I really love you. I really mean this. I, well, we loved you before we met it and we cheated on you. So our words, when we have cheated, which literally means we have taken some part of the relationship and brought it over here and not let you in anymore because I'm going to take it over here. When we have cheated on you, our words no longer matter. What matters is our actions. And I told this to the spouse of this man who was saying to me, well, it's not this. And I turned to his wife. I said, this is what he does. He convinces, he confuses, he has got all kinds of words, except I have a problem and I'm going to go get help, followed by actions. So, ladies and gentlemen, when someone has lied to you, you cannot trust consistently. You cannot trust what they have to say. You can only trust what they do. And if you are having to say, well, where did you get to that meeting? And are you going to therapy? And you don't see this person taking actions, I would worry because you shouldn't have to nag them into it. or What I want from someone in recovery is for them to understand that their life is never going to go well and the people they love are going to, either going to fail them until they get some of the simple lessons they need to learn in recovery. And they only get those lessons by showing up for the healing process. When you see your spouse coming home at 8.30 at night from a 12-step meeting, when you see they've been online in a meeting, when they're talking to the therapist, when they're active, they're writing, they're journaling, they're reading, that tells me someone's healing. By the way, they're showing up for dinner. They're being more present in the relationship. They're owning their own stuff between us. I can feel it in every way when the healing is coming, coming toward me, but I don't trust anything that I'm told, not in the beginning. Great. Okay. So next question. Hi, Rob. How do I set boundaries with my mother who subjected me to covert incest? Well, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but I will say that, let me say it first, let's say what covert incest is. Please. Okay, so incest is having sex with a family member or, it, yeah, or being sexually inappropriate with a family member. Overt sexual abuse, O-V-E-R-T. Open, it means someone touched you. They went into your room. They asked you to take something off. They, there was a physical interaction that was clearly sexual in nature or was uncovered to be sexual in nature. That is overt sexual abuse. Most of the people we work with have more covert forms of sexual abuse so mine with my mother was mentally ill. She was not able to negotiate life on her own. My father went to work and he thought that was his job. He didn't really understand that keeping my mentally ill mother's able was also his job. So I was my mom's best friend. She asked me what to wear. She talked to me about my dad. She complained to me about all, her, all, about all of her problems. She didn't really that, have that much to ask about me but she was very interested in my listening to her. And as a result, I, didn't, I don't really feel like 
I had a nurturing childhood where I was the center of the universe, as all children would be. It was more that my job was to take care of mom and her feelings and her troubles. And, and it was clear she was troubled and it was clear she needed someone to take care of her. And it was clear that I made her feel better when I did, but it wasn't my job. That's covert incest. When you were asked to be mom's best friend or dad's boy, girlfriend or girlfriend, you're taken into this role that you're too young to have, but mom and dad don't have the ability or the wherewithal or don't know how to use their peers for support, they turn to their child for support. It is never our job to support our parents when we're four or six or nine. And when that happens in a consistent way, that's a form of trauma that can lead to, in men in particular, sexual addiction. So I just, Did I answer the question? Well, yes, it's how do you set boundaries? It, and it, it is challenging because there's going to be a lot of resistance. With covert. Okay. Yes, yes. So a couple of things. My family has these issues in spades. It isn't just my mom. There's all kinds of intrusiveness and all kinds of stuff. So the way I set boundaries, I don't stay at my, when I go to visit family, I don't stay at their house. If it's Thanksgiving or a holiday, I get a hotel room or I stay with a friend and I go visit them for a couple of hours. In other words, look, whenever I see my family, I'm 11 years old again and I'm still that kid in that relationship with them because we all fall into our kid parts when we walk into our families. I can't guarantee that I absolutely be able to protect myself with what someone says or does in the moment, but I can set a boundary around how much time I'm going to spend. I can set a boundary about what issues I'm not going to talk about. So I'll give you one more example. I had a very bad relationship with one of my family members, but I really wanted to go there for Thanksgiving and Christmas because to me, this was a family connection I wanted to have, but it wasn't really safe for me on a variety of levels emotionally. So I made a couple of decisions. I would go visit for a couple hours of the holiday so I could have my family holiday, but I would never talk about, bring up or answer anything that was really personal or problematic or because I knew it wasn't gonna go well. For me with my family, it was news, weather and sports. That's what we talk about because I don't have a family where you can get into more meaningful issues. It will end up with me being hurt or me being let down or me being used. So I set the agenda when I'm interacting with my family. I set the time inside, you know, I set up the time. I set up what I'm going to talk about and what I'm not. I might even set up a call so that I call a really good friend before I go and then I call someone after so I don't have this feeling of being alone. Um, but I think it's perfectly fine to sit and write down those boundaries, talk about those boundaries with therapists. Sometimes we have boundaries that don't really work and you need to adjust them some, but you'll get there if you just take a piece of paper and you start writing it out. The most basic boundaries, of course, I don't want to see you or have anything to do with you. That's the most profound boundary. And then you can start pulling back from there. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. Next question. Hi, Tammy. I'm so grateful for everything all you do for our world for being part of the webinars with Dr. Rao. They're life-changing and a beacon of hope in this time of recovery for me. Great. I have been addicted to almost everything under the sun, including sex and love. I'm 24-year-old male. I have some questions about recovery. Is it normal 
to feel the feelings of not identifying with anything about my old self, my old behavior and compulsions, and being in kind of a shock that I can have a life without this much chaos. Also wondering if you have heard of any guys who have repressed their heterosexuality and force themselves to hook up with guys, trauma reenactment, because they had low self-worth over believing they could not get women or get their sexual needs met by women, so they had to abandon their natural arousal template identity. Can a man be bi or gay without sexual attraction to male genitals, or is that a requirement? This is a lot, Dr. Rob. There are about 17 questions in that I question. know. So- So let's start with the, is it normal to feel the feelings of not identifying with anything about my old self, my old behaviors and compulsions and being kind of shocked um, in a life without chaos? Well, I think when suddenly everything is revealed to you in black and white, in color, you know, we're used to seeing our addiction a certain way, how we conceive of it, how we see it, how we hide it, how we hide it from ourselves and other people. I mean, that's all process of addiction. The thing that holds that wall up of my not really looking at it clearly and others not looking at it clearly is denial. Denial is I don't want to know it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to think of myself that way. So when denial lifts and you're really looking at what you did, it's like, oh, my God, I don't even know that person. I love my spouse. I love my Why would I do those things? When you're not in the heat of the addiction, standing back and looking at it, it seems like somebody else did that. I don't and that's part of the neurochemical high that we get when we're doing it. it. We do space out. It does feel like we're not even there. So I think in the beginning, it will take a while to come to terms with how you've seen yourself and what you believe yourself to be, then integrating this new information and saying, this is also who I am. I think a lot of addicts want to say, well, that was my addiction and that was a part of me. It's just going to go away. And I'm just going to embrace this wonderful, beautiful person I want to be. You have to embrace the dark part too. And that is the hard part. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person who did all that. And I don't really identify with that because, but you did it. You did it. And it's part of you. And no, so I don't think the healing is backing away from it. I, I think it's normal and healthy to say, I can't believe I did that. How could I have been that person? But then the motion forward is to begin to accept and integrate how you could have done those things and how you are capable of doing those things and that you could do them again. Because it feels like it was someone else but it wasn't. More questions within the question. Yes. So I'm wondering if you've heard of any guys who have repressed their heterosexuality and forced themselves to hook up with guys, trauma reenactment because of low self-worth over believing we couldn't get a a woman or get their sexual needs met by women. They had to abandon their natural uh, arousal template identity. And then the final question is, can a man be gay or bi without sexual attraction to male genitals? Or is that a requirement? These are fascinating questions. Okay, let's go with the first one, okay? Uh Um, I've heard different things. I'm going to say it to you, Tammy. We have a treatment center. It's called Seeking Integrity. By the way, I think we have a waiting list now. Happy to say, because we're helping a lot of people. I'm very grateful. So grateful. It's not unusual for somebody in treatment to say, you know, I'm really not into men, but if I couldn't, if I was out there cruising for a woman or trying to set something up and I couldn't make it happen, well, I'd just go with a guy because it's easier. And so, you know, because men will more often have uh, anonymous sex really quickly without necessarily getting into any kind of connection. And if you can't get something going with a woman, I've certainly heard men saying, well, just go ahead and do it because I want to get this over with and I don't care who goes down on me and a guy's fine. They may feel worse about it after, but it was really about getting off. And do they have attraction to men? 
enough to have been aroused and completed the act, because if you absolutely have no attraction, you're not going to get aroused. So there is some attraction and interest in doing it, but it may not be their primary interest or attraction. It's something they settled for or just did because that was all that was available. So that's one set of guys. I've also worked with men who are bisexual and they really enjoy sex with men and they really enjoy sex with women and it's a choice. I've worked with men who, you talk about trauma, whose sexual trauma and abuse has left them confused about their sexuality. And if I said, here's a man naked, here's a woman naked, what do you like better? And they'll say, oh my God, I have no interest in that guy and there's nothing on that body that interests me. I don't like hair, I don't like muscles, I don't like penises. This is what I like. But then they also have sex with men on a regular basis. They like men too. They just don't want to acknowledge it. And you know what? A lot of people, listen, I know a lot of guys who are heterosexual and vaginas are okay, but they love boobs. You know, boobs are their thing. And I know men who really, you know, the penis part's okay, but they really love the chest. They really love the arms. So I think whether you're interested in the actual genital part is not really what it's about. It's more about the whole experience, you know? So let me say one more thing. I have worked with men who are bisexual. They like men and they like women, but they only have romantic relationships with women. And with men, they just have the sex. They have sex with women too, but they have sex with men, but they're not interested in a romantic relationship and they don't see themselves attracted to men at all. It's just when they're out there having sex, it's something that they do. For some of those men, the truth is, is that they're actually attracted to men, but they've never allowed themselves to have a relationship with a man, be romantic with a man, develop anything with a man. They just see men as sexual objects and women as people you love. So they split their lives entirely. And that can be another presentation of this. So it's a long way of, way of saying, I don't have an answer for your question because it's unique to you. And there may be many, many meanings that it has for you. But I will say this, if something doesn't turn you on, you're not gonna wanna be interested. And Tammy, no, I've said this before, it's a little embarrassing, I've looked at porn, for sure. I've looked at a lot of porn. And you know, a lot of the porn I looked at had boobs in it. Big boobs, small boobs, dark boobs, light boobs. But here's the thing, I'm, I am a homosexual and I do like penises and I do like men. You can show me all the boobs in the world, I'm not gonna get aroused because there's, no, there's just nothing in there from inside of me. There's no resonance that rings my bell and says, ooh, that's exciting. Sorry, ladies. But when I see an undressed guy, all my bells ring. So. I'm not attracted to women sexually. That's the way, sorry ladies, it's just not my thing. And so you can show me all the naked women you want 100,000 times and I'm just gonna think about, she should be wearing a nicer dress. <laughs> I'm not necessarily going to be thinking about her body because it doesn't arouse me. So if men, if you are able to complete, complete and engage sexual acts with men or women, or whatever, that means you're interested. Your body responds. Where that comes from may actually not be as important as how you live that out. Thank you. That was a complex question, and that was a very a useful. I, I learned. I yeah, but I learned more. I always want to learn more. Okay, next question. I'm new to recovery and recognizing I'm an addict. That's the first step. My wife caught me on June 9th, and her anxiety stress after was hard to watch. We see each other when I see the kids after six, seven weeks apart. We had to manage a stressful interaction yesterday and I felt like she hit that same low stress level instantly, reminding me that it takes a long time to even get past it. She has PTSD symptoms and I feel I should be hypersensitive to that. How long will this last before she can manage stress again? This is the kind of stuff we get asked by addicts. Okay. So this is June 4th, is that the date? It was June, um, June 9th, but yes, yeah. Okay, so we're it's now August 17th. Two months, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just a little over two months 
And I think men typically will say, isn't she going to get over it? When are they going to forgive me? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm working really hard on this. Can't they see this? And in our minds, it's like, you know, I've kind of earned forgiveness. I mean, I feel sincerely bad and I, I understand what I did and I'm really working on it. Can't she just forgive me? Uh, I'm doing all the right stuff now. And the answer is, I, I maybe she will be able to forgive you, but it's going to be a year. Again, in this article I wrote for Newsweek, I said, you know, the damage we do to relationships when we betray someone is much greater than we believe it will be if we're the person doing the damage. We Look, if you're acting out sexually and you're ultimately going to be hurting your partner by it, you don't want to think about how it's hurting your partner. You don't want to even have that in your mind. So when you finally realize that it's been hurting them, it's something that you learn over time. It becomes more and more and more. In the beginning, we don't want to think we've hurt them that much. And then we're kind of like, aren't they over it yet? Because I've been doing all the right stuff. So I wrote a couple of books about this. One of them is called Out of the Doghouse, A Relationship-Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating. And I wrote this book in particular, book number eight or something on my list that I've written. I've written 10. Crazy me, right? But this book I specifically wrote because so many men I've worked with they have compassion, they have empathy, but they don't really understand what a woman goes through when she's been betrayed. And they think that candy and flowers and I'm sorry and I'm working on it now, that should, within a short period of time, 90 days or so, so solve the problem. But the reality is, is that your spouse doesn't look at it that way. They look at it like you've been cheating on me for a long time. And why would you expect that in a month or two, I'm just going to be okay, I'm going to forgive you. They may be at a point of acceptance and things getting better in a year. I don't know about forgiveness, but getting better. And that's provided you're doing everything you need to be doing. You're not being defensive. You're owning your stuff. You're not doing it anymore. You're getting help. You're being open. I mean, if you're doing your part, then it might only be a year before the stress goes down and the trust is regained. So I'm sorry to say to you, sir, that you've caused a lot more harm and damage than you realize. And I would put down my desire to see her loving me more, accepting more, forgiving me. So I'm going to chime in. What I read is I'm new to recovery and recognizing I'm an addict. That's very early stages, but I don't hear. And here's all the things that I'm doing, just like Dr. Rob was talking about. Here's all the things I'm doing to, to be in recovery. Here's the steps that I'm taking that will be like a few questions ago when he said, when you're doing all those things, it's obvious because you're, you know, the way you're showing up is completely different. So you're, you are very new. You know, if the discovery was on June 9th and you're just now two months later going, I think I'm recognizing I'm an addict. I bet that there's some lag time between the discovery and you going, oh my goodness, I need to do some heavy duty work on this. So yes, her time to start being able to trust you and to not have that that reaction is right. going to take a while. Her getting some support, you know, the betrayed partner drop-in groups that I talked about, that's great. Working with a trauma therapist to do some EMDR just on her stress levels, you know, just, just to help her manage her symptoms so she's not having that gut reaction every time she thinks of you or sees you, that will be helpful. But you can't fix her. You can only work on your addiction and healing so that you aren't showing up being the betrayer over and over again. Yeah, I was also going to say, since you brought that up, that you have to understand that we're in a completely different set of circumstances as addicts than our partners are. And I really want you to think about this to all the addicts in the room. We knew what we were doing. We knew for a long time what we were doing. And we chose to say what we wanted to say to our spouses and hide what we wanted to hide. 
when this comes out, our spouses are not in our situation. They haven't known about this forever. They, it's a, often a complete surprise or the degree of it is a complete surprise. And they're just knocked over with a feather, like a feather. And, you know, we're kind of like, well, I've moved on this. I've grown on this. I've known about, I see where I am. They're just in the water trying to grab, you know, something to pull them up because they, they have been hit with this and we have lived with it. So for them to catch up to what they've been living with and how they can move forward if they even want to is a lot longer process than our process of when are they going to love me again and get, o- get over this. It's always longer than we want. And my experience is that partners are now going, everything was a lie. Like this, you know, so, so they're replaying everything in your relationship and going... <laughs> what is actually truthful within that. So, so it's really challenging. And, and she caught you. I mean, so this isn't like something that was a known event or whatever. She caught you. So that's like getting hit by a semi truck, you know, in one instant, like very much changes. So yeah. Imagine thinking that your life is going along this way. I mean, this is what has spouses, you know, well, we're doing well and this is happening. He seems a little distracted, maybe busy with work and I've got kid, whatever it is. And then realizing you were completely wrong. You didn't understand at all what was happening. Our partners feel so foolish. How could I not have known this? How could I not have seen this? How could I not have felt this? Of course, oftentimes they did, and they said little things, and we shoved them away. So understand that even when our partners might have begun to understand this, we kept it from them, and we worked hard at it. So oftentimes it's a tremendous shock to them, and we need to give them the grace to have the time to be angry and hurt for a while, certainly longer than we would want them to be. Next question. My boyfriend and I just came to terms with him having a porn addiction intimacy disorder. We've just started watching some webinars and listening to podcasts, and now we're reading your book. Doesn't say which one, but let's uh, probably out of the doghouse. But let's. Or Sex Addiction 101. Either one of those would be good choices. What do you re- recommend as next step once we have finished? Well, I think that's a little hard because so what I'm seeing is we're just coming to terms. So when you're just coming to terms, meaning this is a fairly new situation that you're both beginning to negotiate, a lot of what we talk about is you getting support separately from each other and learning a little bit separately from each other. You have to understand that, you know, when you thought there was trust, who do you turn to when there's a problem? Who do you turn to when you have questions? Who do you turn to when you're struggling? You turn to your partner, your spouse, your mate, the person you love, your best friend. But now this is someone who's hurt you. Now this is someone who's let you down. Now this is the very person you can't really talk to. So in the beginning, I think a lot of what I recommend is that the addict develop relationships and support outside their marriage or relationship that is only devoted to recovery. Uh, People in 12-step, people in groups, to really be able to gather your strength from other people who are on the same road as you. And it's really the same for the spouses. You guys need to be sitting maybe in one of our volunteer free groups or online, wherever you go, with other men and women who've been betrayed. Because a lot of times you think, oh, I should have done this, I shouldn't have done that. You couldn't have done anything. We are who we are, but you need to hear it from other people. So in the beginning, it isn't as much about what you do with each other as what you do for yourselves. Because if you can get a really good toehold in in recovery as an addict, if you can get a really good foothold as a partner in what you can expect and what you're going to go through, that work is going to pay off handsomely when you start to turn toward each other again because you're grounded, you have direction, you have support, and you can turn to each other more neutrally and say, okay, how do we work on this? Because 
I get that you can't be there for me and I can't be there for you right now because we're hurting and betrayed, but we can walk together with support towards some healing. So I'm glad you're reading things together. I'm glad you're working on things together. But let me give another quick example of this. Even with therapy, when couples are in the early stages of profound betrayal and hurt, we don't suggest they dive into couples therapy. Because in the beginning, couples therapy really looks like this. On the part of the spouse, it's pretty much the same thing over and over again. I hate you. You ruined my life. I hate you. You lied to me. You ruined my life. And that's really all partners have to say in the beginning, as they should. And addicts are focused on the entirely wrong thing, which is, can you forgive me? I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to hurt you. I have this problem. I didn't know I had it. None of that is helpful. So each of you needs to go separately to get a real handle on what the heck's going on with you so that you can, in an informed way and in a healthy way, start to turn toward each other. So we encourage people to get separate therapy in the beginning before they start couples work because the couples work is often just a kind of, you know, a, a, a ring, a match in the ring as opposed to a healing experience. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.